This morning, we are finishing up Romans chapter 6. If you want to follow along, you'll find that in your worship folder on page 8. But Romans 6, verses 14 to 23. This is God's word for us. What then, writes Paul, Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, And to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin... And have become slaves of God. The fruit of your, uh, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask now that your Spirit would attend to its proclamation, so that you might. Show us once again our need to rest fully upon Christ in faith and repentance. For when we do this, we are righteous in your sight. We ask this in your name. Amen. So why would a slave then, subjected to an abusive and a cruel master, want to go back and serve that cruel master after having been freed from him. That's the illustration we see Paul giving to believers here regarding sin. And he's doing that because he understands the human heart. He knows what we do. He knows that people, even those who confess to be Christians, that we search for different ways to justify ourselves, to to diminish the real weight and the horror of our own sin and our sinfulness. So back in verse 1, Paul asked the question, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he asked that because the, the, the beautiful truth is that grace is bigger than our sin. Where there is sin, grace abounds more. There's more than enough of God's grace and mercy to forgive us and save us from our sin. For those God redeems, sin has no power over them. 
And that's because Christians are not under the law. They're not under, that is to say, the condemnation of the law. But they are under the grace of God. Paul says that in verse 14. He says, sin will have no dominion, no power over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. We live in the realm of grace rather than the realm of sin and the curse of the law. Now, of course, that does not mean, as we've observed, that Christians do not sin, but it means that sin isn't their identity. It is not who they are. They are now found to be in Christ. It is wonderful news. There's no condemnation for our transgressions. And it is so good and so beautiful and so wonderful, though, that one might be tempted to think, well, since I'm not under the law, I'm not under its condemnation, but I'm under God's grace, well, it really shouldn't matter if I sin. It must be okay if I do. After all, my sin is forgiven. But just like thinking that we can continue in sin so that there'll be more grace, just like thinking that that, uh, just like that kind of thinking is a, a gross misunderstanding of the gospel, so is thinking that, well, since I'm not under the law, it's okay to sin. The, the law must not apply to me anymore as a New Testament Christian. Well, it does. And so Paul writes in verse 15, what then are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means, absolutely Positively not. Claiming that God's law doesn't matter for the Christian is sucking poison from the flower of God's grace. Matthew Henry restates what Paul is asking here. And he says, what can be more black and ill-natured from a friend's extraordinary expression of kindness and goodwill to take occasion to affront and offend him? So why then is this kind of thinking so out of step with the gospel? If I'm not under the law, why should I be required to observe it and obey it? it well, it's out of step with the gospel because of this general principle we see in verse 16, and it's this. You belong to the one you serve and obey. Pretty simple. You belong to the one or the person or the thing that you serve and obey. So verse 16, Paul says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient, and the idea there is willful, obedient, slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. What you obey shows to whom you belong. What you do shows who your master is. And so Paul uses then this illustration of slavery, one of which Roman believers could naturally relate. I mean, slavery was so common in the city of ancient Rome that a huge portion of the population was uh, in some sort of bounded servitude or slavery. At the beginning of the imperial period, it was estimated that for every one free Roman citizen, there were three slaves. It was a major part of the social and economic structure of the day. 
Now, many of those slaves became slaves because they actually owed something to the master. They were perhaps financially indebted to him, or maybe they had been rescued from war or were a prisoner of war, or maybe they'd been saved from some other disaster like a famine. And rather than die or waste away in prison, they served the master of the house and were indeed considered part of that house as it functioned. The master of the house determined what the Roman slaves and servants in his household were expected to do. He, he gave them the duties. He laid down the rules and the responsibilities so the whole estate could function. Slaves could only do what their masters gave them to do. And every slave understood that the one they served, the one they obeyed, was the one to whom they belonged. Now, we no longer, thankfully, function in an economic system that utilizes slavery. But the principle that who you obey and serve is the one to whom you belong certainly still exists. Now, the parallels are not exact, but there is a sense that if you work a job, you must obey the rules of that job. You must fulfill the duties your employer gives to you or you will be fired. And societies are bound to obey the laws of that society as prescribed by the governments in the regions where they reside. So Paul takes this principle then, the one you serve, the one you obey, is the one to whom you belong, the one to where your allegiance lies, and he wants to lay it out in a spiritual dimension. He wants us to see it in relationship to sin and God. And he says, you either serve sin or you serve, he says here, obedience, which means obedience rendered to God. And there's only two options. He doesn't give a third one. He says, you can obey sin or you can obey God. If you obey sin, sin is your master, and you belong to sin. If you obey God, you submit yourself to his law. So there's two options. Who will rule your life? Who will control your life? Who will dominate how you think and what you say? Sin or God? Not only are there only two options... But we see that you can only serve one of them, not both. In fact, Jesus himself teaches this same truth in the Sermon on the Mount. He says regarding riches, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So if you serve sin, it is your master. If you serve God... He is your master. The Bible doesn't allow a third way. You cannot obey sin and obey God at the same time. There are only two options for who your master will be. You can only serve one and not both. And now here is where this really touches every single person. Your master then is the one who gives your life purpose and meaning. See, a, pl- a slave's purpose was determined by his master. He had no purpose, no meaning in life outside of what his master gave him to do. 
That was his identity. The master determined the outcome of life. And when it comes to obeying God or disobeying him, we find purpose and meaning through that master. You see, both God and sin as masters have different outcomes. If sin is your master, the end, Paul says, is death. Master sin leads to death because it is sin that separates us from God. That's what death is. God is the giver of life. To be separated from him is death. And if death is your end, you might ask the question, as the nihilist does, what's the purpose of living anyway? Where can I find purpose? Where can I go to have real meaning in my life if I'm just going to die at the end of it anyway? Why am I even here on this earth? But if God is your master, if he is the one whom you serve and obey rather than sin, Paul says this leads to righteousness. And it is righteousness that permits a person to be in God's presence, to know him and to enjoy him. And since God is the giver of life, when you are with him and united to him, Through faith in Christ, the end, rather than death, is life. So suddenly, simply by knowing God, by obeying Him, by serving Him, by having God as your master, your life has real purpose. It has meaning. Death isn't the end. Being separated from God for all eternity as a result of your sin isn't the final outcome. And that's why it absolutely matters who you serve in this life because who you serve demonstrates to whom you belong. Now, as humans, we were all created to belong to God. But, as we know so well, we chose to sin. We chose sin to be our master instead of God. And because of that, death came into the world. But death doesn't have to be your end. For the gospel is all about changing that. It's all about giving you a new master to serve and obey. And so if you have received and are resting upon Jesus through faith and repentance, you are no longer bound to sin. It is not your master anymore. Oh, you might still sin. But it is not your master. Because God, and we see this in verses 17 and 19, uh, through 19, God has emancipated you from the cruel master of sin so that you now belong to him. So notice verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Notice he's talking about the past as he speaks to these Christians. He says, you were once slaves of sin. You're not now. Of course, he's not saying you never sinned, but he's saying you're not a slave of sin anymore. It's in the past. It's not who you are because God has effectually freed you through Jesus. As you came to him, repenting of that sin and believing the gospel, God removed you from your former master. 
And notice how Paul says here in verse 17, thanks be to God. He's thanking God for this. He's recognizing that it is God Himself who broke sin's chains, who smashed them. You know, slaves to sin cannot escape that power themselves, but God can deliver them from it, and He does. And so Paul says, thanks be to God. That's who you were, but it's not who you are. And he can speak of sin slavery as a thing that is in the past. It's not your present, and it will never be your future. Because God has removed you from that bondage. And the hammer that God used to smash those chains that bound you to, to sin as a cruel master is the very gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice again, Paul says, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Now, obedience from the heart is simply faith. If we go back to the very first chapter of Romans, Paul speaks of the obedience of faith. That's what he has in mind here. Obedience, he says, to the standard of teaching. That is the teaching of the gospel. Another way you could say this or translate this would be the imprint of the gospel, the pattern of teaching that is the gospel. It has this picture of something that shapes and forms and molds and creates. And that is exactly what the gospel does. It creates new life within you. It shapes your life. You live when God works in your heart and comes to you through Christ and you believe. He uses His grace to shape your life to that gospel. It's not simply a mere set of facts that we believe or theological theorems that we acknowledge to be true, though it certainly is. But it is a historical reality, the gospel, that gets into your very heart and it bends it, it molds it, it shapes it away from sin and to God. And so Paul says to Christians, you were committed to the gospel. It's passive. You didn't commit yourself to it, but God in His mercy... And His grace made you into what you are supposed to be. Belonging to Him. Set free, as we see in verse 18. Emancipated from sin. So that you are now a slave to righteousness. God's righteousness. And so in other words, the gospel resulted in a change of ownership. It changed the one to whom you belong. When you trust Jesus and rest in His redeeming work on your behalf, you're removed from the household of sin, Satan, and death, where you were once a slave, and you are moved into the household of God. Now as a believer, you belong to God. You are His possession, His treasure. He is your new master. Which means that as a believer, you serve God and not yourself. So verse 19, Paul says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. He's just saying, hey, these are spiritual truths. They can be hard to understand. Let me give you an illustration. 
And he says, for just as you once presented your members, that's your whole body, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, just like you used to do that, now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And remember that principle from verse 15, you belong to the one you obey and serve. This is why Paul wanted us to understand that. Before you belong to God, you belong to your sin. You are a slave, as he says here, to impurity. That speaks of the heart. It speaks of desire. The slavery that Paul envisions here is not one of coercion. It is actually willing submission. A sinner, uh, someone who is bound to their sin, who does not belong to God and belongs to their sin, desires that sin. And a little sin leads to more sin. As Paul says, we go from lawlessness to more lawlessness. Unbelievers desire to carry out what their master sin demands of them. Now, that does not mean that a person who is in unbelief and trapped in sinful addictions does not want to escape those addictions. But what it does mean is that their desire for their sin is greater than their desire to escape it. And so that is why when God saves you, He becomes your new master. He gives you a new desire, a desire for His righteousness. And so Paul says, use all that you are, your mind, your will, your emotions, your heart, to serve God now, to serve His righteousness rather than your sin. Now, of course, the moment God's grace redeems us doesn't mean that all of a sudden you stop doing those things that uh, break God's law and start doing what is acceptable to Him. I mean, as Christians, we still sin. And we'll see more of that, especially when we get into chapter 7 of Romans. But what belonging to God does mean is that God, through the gospel, has planted a new desire in your heart a desire to overcome your sin, a desire to fight it, a desire to find forgiveness and mercy and the grace of God through the cross of Christ. See, Paul isn't calling believers here to a mere outward display of righteousness because an outward righteousness is no righteousness at all. It's just a moralistic attempt to serve yourself. And if you're serving yourself, you're serving sin. But what God is calling us to here is a righteousness of the heart that only comes through faith in Christ. That's what results in life rather than death. To have the, the impurity of the heart cleaned up and washed away is what we need. And it is only the blood of Jesus who gave himself up for sinners that does that. The author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 9 that the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself up without blemish to God to purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So purified through Christ from our dead works our self-righteousness, 
we now serve. We are committed to God as our master. And what that really means then is that when God is your master, you are free to live life as God intended, to enjoy it, to enjoy his blessings. You belong to the one to whom you serve and obey. And in God, you are free to enjoy his blessing because God emancipates you from the slavery of sin so that you now belong to him, which means is the final thing we see here is that belonging to God then means that we ought to serve him and live in the freedom of his grace. To put it another way, when God saves you and he changes your life and he becomes your master, you now have a master who gives you that meaning and purpose, the highest of all purposes. You can do what God has designed you to do. Verse 20 reads, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. You didn't have that purpose to live and to serve God because you were serving a different master. But now you can serve God. You can obey Him. And so He calls us then, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. You see, service of God is sanctifying. It is one of God's means of of molding you and shaping you to be what He has called you and designed you to be, united to Jesus, more like your new master every day. Now, there's an obvious objection that many people can make to this. They say, well, what if I don't want to serve God? What if I don't want any master? I just want to be the master of myself. I mean, isn't true freedom being completely independent of all others, including God in heaven? No, it's not. Because you can never be truly independent. Paul asks in verse 21, what fruit were you getting at the time from the things which you are now ashamed When you belong to sin, and you didn't belong to God, what kind of fruit did you get? The only way to be free from sin is to belong to God. It's the only way. Because if you don't belong to God, you do have a master. And that master is sin. You're never truly independent. You're still a slave. And instead of belonging and worshiping and serving the loving, gracious, merciful master who is God, you are chained to the tyrannical master who only leads to rotten fruits. Sin brings shame and guilt and eventually death. First Paul says the end of sin is death. But what kind of fruit do you get in the household of God if you belong to Him, if you serve Him? Well, the fruit of that obedience is sweet indeed. Verse 22, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, to holiness, to being 
more like God every day and its end, eternal life. Sanctification, which leads to life instead of the rottenness of death, is the fruit of belonging to God. And here's why the final verse in chapter 6, because the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, verse 23 is why belonging to God is far greater than belonging to sin. It's what makes serving God as the new Lord and Master of your life so worth it. And this is why Paul answers that question back in verse 15 so strongly in the negative. You see, you can't simply sin because you are under grace and not the law, because grace doesn't lead you to the indulgence of your sin. It leads you to the gift of God, the righteousness that is in Christ. It has freed you from your sin so that you can enjoy that free gift of life that God gives instead of the fruit of death. Notice all the contrasts in that one little verse, verse 23. Paul contrasts wages with gifts and sin with God and death with life. A wage is something that you are paid for what you have done, but a gift is something you are given despite what you have or haven't done. A wage is deserved and it is expected, but a gift is undeserved and unexpected. A wage is given because you earned it through some action, but a gift is given solely based on the benevolence and kindness of the giver. You deserve death because you have sinned, but you are given life in Christ Jesus our Lord because God is a gracious giver. He has freed us from sin and death so that we now belong to Him That's the central promise of the gospel summarized in that new covenant promise. I will be a God to you and you will be my people. You will belong to me, not to your sin, but to me, the one who made you, who knows you, who loves you, who gives you all things, who provides for you, who shepherds you. You will belong to me, not to that thing that causes death. And so, as God's people, we are free. Free to serve our God rather than our sin. Free to obey Him. Free to fight against that remaining sin in our lives by running in repentance regularly to the cross of Christ, being renewed in His love and mercy for us in the Gospel. But maybe this morning you're here and you're still trying to find some sort of purpose and meaning. And you're trying to find that in yourself, which means you're trying to find it in your natural rebellion against God, your sin. But as Paul shows us so clearly, You're not going to find it there. It only leads to death. But if you turn to Christ Jesus, you will belong to the only master who will love you enough 
and who loved you enough to suffer and die the death that you deserve so that you can have eternal life. And so who is your master? To whom do you belong? Let it be God through Christ our Lord and live in him. Father in heaven, we do ask now that you would continue to work your truth into our hearts to strengthen us and to renew us. Father, I pray that you would use these words from the Apostle Paul to continue to encourage us to not serve ourselves, but to serve you with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Only through the power of your Spirit can we do this. And so strengthen us in that direction so that we might grow more and more into the image of our Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.